there are decisions that you make that follow you all your life. Implications made that change your life. Marriage is one of those decisions. I think about the implications in my life. Some of them have been surprising. I did not think about them. I found that after I got married that I lost much of my desire to hang out with friends. I didn't think that would happen. I enjoy hanging out with friends. I, something that was kind of a, was one of my gifts, you know, being able to hang out. And then all of a sudden I get married and, and someone would ask me, hey, do you want to go hang out and I go somewhere to eat after uh, some event? And I just thought, you know, I, that's okay. I'd rather not. I'd just soon go home. I thought, well, this is strange. I've never done that before. And I realized that I, I had no need. My companion was there at my house and I didn't have to go seek for it. It was there with me. And I found that, well, that's a change. That's, that's a, a new thing. And, and then I found uh, my eating became much better. Yeah, I, I had to cook for myself for a few years and I found that I would often make a side and that would be my meal. Uh, I'd make a, a plate of biscuits and that was supper. The next day I'd have beans, you know, and after three days, I might have a whole meal together, put together, but I would, that's how I did. And, and so when I get married, I suddenly had all of them at one time in one meal. I thought, wow, this is good. And I gained weight. You know, and that's an implication of, of these. And so there's wonderful, and you discover these things as you go on. Some are good, and in some decisions you make, some implications are bad. In fact, you take your whole life trying to get over some decisions that you make. In fact, some people are defined by some past decision of, of some mistake, and it just so haunts them that they can't get past that. I, I shared that with you a few weeks ago with my first speeding ticket, and how for six months that just became primary focus on my brain of, of dreading this time, and, and how do I deal with this? And I kept going back to it. And sometimes, unfortunately, there are things like that that we endure, that we go through, or may happen to us, and we spend the rest of our life being defined by that tragic act. Well, Jacob is in a lot of the same boat in that. In fact, for 20 years, and really mainly all of his life, his relationship has been defined by seeking blessing, by wanting to be exalted in whatever sphere he was in, and primarily in a feud with his brother. And for the last, for the 20 years, he has been dreading an encounter that he thought would surely happen that would be facing his brother again. If you remember, Jacob was born with the desire to exalt himself. In fact, the Bible says that uh, when he was in his mother's womb, him and his brother, a twin brother, were struggling with one another in their mother's womb and fighting with one another. And God used that as a sign of prophecy toward the mother of, of what would happen with these two people in the nations that would come. And in fact, at the time of delivery, the, the Bible says that Jacob was grasping the hill of his brother Esau. And thus he got his name Jacob, which means to grab the hill or supplanter. It can also mean con artist or deceiver. And so he, he bore the name right from the beginning. And, and their relationship has always been marked with who can outdo one another, as most sibling relationships often are. We can relate with that, and, and Jacob and Esau had a severe bout of it, uh, of trying to, to one-up one another. So much so that uh, Jacob tricked his brother Esau in selling his birthright for a nice spread that he put out when Esau was especially hungry. And then later on, 
when Isaac was getting near what he thought was near death and was getting giving out the blessings upon his sons and and the wife got wind of this and her favorite son Jacob she told him about it so that Jacob deceived his own father Isaac by uh, acting like Esau dressing like Esau uh, who and his father was blind and 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 deceived his his father into giving him the blessing that belongs to the oldest son Esau found out about that in fact we we have his his words for us uh, given. Uh, in, in Genesis uh, chapter 27, verse 34, it says, As soon as Esau heard the words of his father, he cried out with an exceedingly great, bitter cry and said to his father, Bless me, even me also, my father. But he said, Your brother came deceitfully and has taken away your blessing. And Esau said, it is, not, is he not rightly named Jacob? For he has cheated me these two times. He took away my birthright. Behold, now he's taken away my blessing. And he said, Have you not reserved a blessing for me? Isaac answered and said to Esau, Behold, I have made him lord over you, and all his brothers I have given to him for servants, and with grain and wine I have sustained him. What then can I do for you, my son? Esau said to his father, Have you but one blessing, my father? Bless me, even me also, O my father. And Esau lifted up his voice and wept. And just a few verses later in that same chapter 27, it says, Now Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing which his father blessed him. And Esau said to himself, the days of my mourning for my father approaching, then I will kill my brother Jacob. Mama got word of this and sent Jacob away. And for 20 years, that's the last thing Jacob would have remembered about his brother Esau. The mutterings of hate, the cold, steely glances from his brother. And Jacob walks off in shame. For 20 years, that's the last he remembers of his brother Esau. And for 20 years, he continues on in his pursuit of a blessing. And he does so with his uncle Laban. And Laban gives him a little bit of his own medicine. And Jacob learns a few things by that. And then he has a family and, and uh, he has, ends up with uh, really four wives, two wives. And they're, they're servants who act as wives. And, and there is a feud among his wives as to who will be exalted uh, before Jacob. And then we find later on that his sons, they carry on that same strife of seeking a blessing, seeking to be exalted. And before we're too harsh on them, search your own heart. Do you not find it there also passed down? That striving for a blessing to be exalted. And so finally things get to a climax between him and Laban. And God says to Jacob, you need to leave. You need to get out of here. You need to go back home, 400 miles away. Go back home. And so he goes away and Laban pursues him. And you, you find that there is kind of a one-on-one there between Laban and Jacob. And, and God uses that time. And Jacob realizes that God has been protecting him. God has been giving him blessings. And God has kept him from the hand of Laban who wanted to do harm to him. And finally they leave with the treaty. And so Jacob's saying, Phew. Man, I got that behind me, only to be headed toward Esau. He's gone from the fire, or from the, fa- the pan into the fire now. And he's gone from one dread to another dread. And this is the one that's been over his head for the last 20 years. And he's coming close to Jordan River. And he knows that he's not far away from Esau. Esau is just 100 miles south. Sends the messengers. Messengers come back and says, Esau's coming. And he's bringing his 400 friends. And as we read last week, Jacob is very afraid. 
Very afraid. But last week we learned, as we looked at the chapter, he had a one-on-one with God himself. Pre-incarnate form, wrestling with him. And as he's all by himself in his fear, wrestling with God, he realizes that when, when the man touches Jacob, and with that touch, cripples him. And his, and his hip loses all strength. And so Jacob changes tactics because he realizes this is not just a man. I'm not just trying to prevail over him. I'm not just trying to exert my will over him in a wrestling match. This is God. And I'm not going to let go. And so he holds on with all the strength that remains. And, and the man says, you need to let me go. And Jacob says, I'm not going to let you go until you give me a blessing. You see, he finally has come to the one that he knows can give him a blessing. He strived all his life for, and he's not going to let go now. And so God, through this man, says, all right, well, who are you? And once again, Jacob had to owe up to his character and said, I am Jacob. I am supplanter. I am conners. I am deceiver. I'm the one who grasped the hill. And God says, I'm glad you're honest. I'm going to tell you that you're no longer him. I'm going to give you a new name. And he gives him the name Israel, that he is the one who struggled with God and prevailed. And he's got the blessings of God on him. And so he, and with, the, with the breaking of the dawn, he walks limping. And he comes out to his family. And he sees oft in a distance that the moment is finally here. It's been weighing on his head for 20 years. And how does he deal with Esau, who he sees is coming in the distance. How has he changed once he's gone through Peniel or face-to-face with God? We're going to look at that, so we're going to see how he changed. And so, what's in Jacob's mind? Let's read together Genesis 33. We'll find it here, verse 1. And as we read this together, let's stand together in honor of what we read together. This being God's word. Jacob lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, Esau was coming and 400 men with him. So he divided the children among Leah and Rachel and the two female servants, and he put the servants with their children in front, then Leah with her children, and Rachel and Joseph last of all. He himself went on before them, bowing himself to the ground seven times until he came near to his brother. But Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him, and they wept. And when Esau lifted up his eyes and saw the woman and children, he said, Who are these with you? And Jacob said, The children whom God has graciously given your servant. And then the servant drew near, they and their children, and bowed down. And likewise, Leah and her children drew near and bowed down. And last, Joseph and Rachel drew near, and they bowed down. And Esau said, What do you mean by all this company that I met? Jacob answered, To find favor in the sight of my Lord. But Esau said, I have enough, my brother. Keep what you have for yourself. Jacob said, no, please. If I found favor in your sight, then accept my present from my hand. For I've seen your face, which is like the seeing the face of God, and you have accepted me. Please accept my blessing that is brought to you because God has dealt graciously with me and because I have enough. Thus he urged him and he took it. Then Esau said, let us journey on our way and I will go ahead of you. But Jacob said to him, My Lord knows that the children are frail, and the nursing flocks and herds are a care to me. If they are driven hard for one day, all the flocks will die. Let my Lord pass on ahead of his servant, and I will lead on slowly at the pace of the livestock that are ahead of me, and at the pace of the children that until I come to my Lord in Seir. And so Esau said, 
let me leave with you some of the people who are with me. But he said, what need is there? Let me find favor in the sight of my Lord. So Esau returned that day on his way to Seir. But Jacob journeyed to Succoth and built himself a house and made booze for his livestock. And therefore, the name of the place is called Succoth. And Jacob came safely to the city of Shechem, which is in the land of Canaan, on his way from Padan Aram. And he camped before the city. And from the sons of Hamar, Shechem's father, he brought for a hundred pieces of money the pieces of land on which he had pitched his tent. There he erected an altar and called it El Elohi Israel. You may be seated. Every once in a while, I come across someone who says, hey, you know, I've got a great thing. I, I have my own personal time with the Lord. I, I have my own meditations and I go out in the woods or I go out wherever, wherever they, you know, fancy to go that uh, it seems to be a, a moment in their heart that touches them and, and says, I have a worship of the Lord. I don't need to be a part of a, an organized religion. I don't need to be a part of a church. I, I've got my own deal. Only problem with that is it has this kind of a, a one-way deal between them and God. And, and so many times it seems like what they claim as their worship has no difference whatsoever in their relationship with other people. So much so, they say, I don't need other people. I don't need to worship with other people. They're just a hassle. And more often than not, they hurt me more than they help me. Maybe they do hurt you. But I'm going to share with you that it is in the hurting, even of others, that God does some of his greatest works in our lives. And, and we have this idea that as long as it's just with God, it doesn't really matter what other people do. But what do you find in the Bible? Is that when you get your life right with God, it inevitably impacts your relationship with others. And if it does not impact your relationship with other people, you've not been touched by God. Simple. How can I say such statements? Well, First John 4 talks about that. It says if, if, that if we claim to love God, but yet do not love our brothers, we lie. And the love of the Father is not in us. It goes on to say in First John 4, 9, we love him because he first loved us and with the love that god has given us it, it cast away all fear and now we can love other people and and so i think it's fitting that we see this passage that it shows how jacob has had a one-on-one with god and now he has a one-on-one with his enemy and when we see the difference that's done here and so let's look at these differences first we see verse one he, he sees these 400 men coming you can imagine the scene the clouds coming up off the distance the mass of men coming and so we know, we know there's cause for fear. Jacob is already greatly distressed at the news of these men coming, and now they're here. What does he do? Well, he continues on with one of his plans, dividing his, his, uh, his camp into two camps. And uh, we find it's interesting that he does have a priority, uh, a preference, and we find that this is going to cause a lot of problem later on. But we first have the servants, and then Leah, and then Rachel, and then the only son mentioned by name, Joseph. All right? So, uh, seeding, sowing a seed of, of preferential treatment toward Joseph, it will come back and bite him hard later on. But nonetheless, we see it here. And so it's as if, you know, all right, Esau, if he comes with, with malice in his heart and he, he wipes out some of these, maybe he'll get tired by the time he gets to the ones I really love. All right. Uh, and so that's kind of the thought behind this. But notice verse three. Where does Jacob go? He goes before them. He goes on before them, bowing himself to the ground seven times until he came near to his brother. He places himself at the point of danger. This seems to be quite a bit different from the old Jacob that we knew. It was just, just a chapter earlier that he was at the back of the camp all by himself. And now, at that moment, he had that uh, time with God. 
And now he walks forward all the way up to the front to where the danger is at. I want to just make a little difference here, a note here, a change in Jacob's life. And that's simply this, that when he had an encounter with God, it changed him and that the fear of man decreased. The fear of man decreased. I mean, he has just been wrestling with God in flesh and he's thinking, okay, now I'm going to confront Esau. Esau, Esau is no worse. He is no mightier than God himself. And I have had a time with God and we find that, that there was victory wrought, not in, and because of my strength, but because of my surrender. And God is with me. He's changed my name. And so I approach life differently. In fact, that's what Jesus was getting at in Luke chapter 12, verse 4. Jesus said this, I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body and after that have nothing more that they can do. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him whom after he is killed has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies and not one of them is forgotten before God? Why, even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not. You are more value than many sparrows. What Jesus is saying is, look, you've got a choice. You can either fear mankind or you can fear God. He says that is the one that matters. Don't let your fear of man put you in trouble with, the, with God. Because man can destroy your body, but God can destroy your soul and it lasts for eternity. And that's the point he's bringing out in all this, is understand that. You see, you'll find that when it comes to with strife with mankind, a lot of times we want God just to you know, get rid of them. <laughs> you know, or, or, or get rid of us. Let me get out of this situation. Let, let's just, you know, I don't want to resolve this. Let me just pretend it doesn't exist. Let me just ignore it. Let me just go away. I don't want to see them in the grocery store. Let's just, you know, let's not confront this. But we find that Lord doesn't do that with us. Many times, he leads us through the conflict. He carries us through. This lesson came true to me, true to me in fifth grade. I've shared this story before. I go back to it because it's what God was teaching me, even as a young child in fifth grade. You're not too young. You're never too young for God to work in your life. And the lessons you can learn as a fifth grader and even younger can carry you through your life. And it was done in a conflict where, where a big old seventh grader wanted to beat me up. And, and you know, I was a fifth grader. And I was like, this, you know, I have no, I have no match with the seventh grader. And I've seen him come, uh, meet on the bus stop, get on the bus with one of my friends and sat behind him and scared him half to death. And my friend was bigger than me. I thought, you know, I've seen him do this. And, and what I found is all my friends in school, they abandoned me. <laughs> it's like a sinking ship. You know, the mice went away. And I was just like, man, what's the deal? And I was concerned, perplexed, worried, crying. Dad finds out about it. And dad's trying to teach me how to fight, get the boxing gloves together. And trying to, and it's like, you know, hey, he just didn't have much hope in that, I don't think. And, and uh, you know, I, I wanted so bad just to stay at home. I don't, because I knew the day was coming. That didn't happen. I got on, on the school bus and got in, in, in school all day. It was on my mind constantly all day. And finally get on the bus to go home. And this is the time. We were coming up on New Hope Road, not too far away over here. And, and, and this is the corner. I called it the corner. And this guy was supposed to come on the bus. And I thought, man, God, what, what's going to happen? And, and I looked back behind me. And lo and behold, there was my dad following the bus. I didn't tell anybody because you just don't, you know. You lose cool points if you tell your friends that your dad's following you. And, and uh, there he was. And I thought, you know what? Let that seventh grader get on. I'm not worried anymore. Because someone greater is with me. And I'm in good with him. 
You see, that's the lesson that Jacob's learning is that, you know, what? I've gone through and, and I've gone, so, gone through all this time. And I saw him. I remember in Bethel, there's a stairway to heaven and, and Esau was hating me then. But I found then that God was having access with me and he called it the house of God. And he went on through Laban and he found out that God gave his blessings there. And, and then as he's come just recently, just in the last chapter 32, right before this moment, he saw the, the camp, the angelic camp and said, look. Not only is God having his house in Bethel, he's coming along with me, camping with me. I've got him with me. And then he has this one-on-one with, with God himself. And he realizes he's got the blessings of God in his life. And he says, you know what? I don't have to be dictated to by the fear of man. We think, well, I don't have an Esau in my life. No, we don't. But we've got other folks. We don't even know them. But we care more about their opinion than we do God's reputation. And we will do all manner of things to conform to their expectations. Because we don't want to look bad in front of them. Thing is, have you ever considered how God looks? And when it's when it's when we're really honest, we care more about our reputation than we do God's reputation. When you have a growing relationship with the Lord and you realize who He is, and that He is the source of every blessing then you start living for him. And the fear of men decreases. It just gets overshadowed by the love for God. It's not that the fear of men decreases as much as it just gets overshadowed. And it's no longer the dictating force in your life. But notice as we keep on reading verse 4. I mean, can you imagine the scene? He's coming closer and coming closer. And, and Esau jumps off his camel and starts running. So far, nothing is happening to encourage Jacob about the outcome of this. I mean, what does Jacob do? I mean, is he all braced? And then as, as Esau comes, he, he's got his hands out. He's like, oh my, he's going for my throat. You know? But he notices something as he gets closer. There's tears in Esau's eyes. And instead of choking his neck, he grabs his arms around his neck. And you know what the Bible says? Verse 4. He ran to meet him, embraced him, and fell on his neck, and kissed him, and they wept. What a beautiful picture. In fact, some people believe that this may have been what was in Jesus' mind when he's telling the story of the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15. Luke 15, verse 20. The story of the father and son. The son was a foolish man and, and squandered all his resources. And, and finally came back when he came to his senses. He was coming back to his father. And the Bible says, verse, verse, Luke 15, verse 20. He rose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. What a beautiful moment done. You see, what Jacob didn't realize is that God not only was working in his heart, God evidently was working in the heart of Esau too over these 20 years. And so, verse 5, Esau lifted up his eyes and saw the women and children and said, Who are these with you? And and notice that what Jacob says, The children whom God has graciously given your servant. Notice, what is the source of blessing? God is the source of blessing. It's not the mandrakes that Leah was trying to eat and Rachel was fighting over. All right? it's, not, it's not any kind of herbal aphrodisiac or something for fertility. It was God who was doing it. And he knows the source of his blessing. And so verse 6, And the servants drew near, they and their children, they bowed down. And, and this is a sign of humility and respect. 
And Leah, likewise, the children, all of them, Joseph and Rachel. And then Esau said, what do you mean by all this company that I met? You remember in the previous chapter, Jacob was sending out all these gifts. 500 and some animals. All about five different herds. And, and Esau, man, they're slowing me down. What, what are all these animals here? Why, why are you doing this? Jacob answered to find favor in the sight of my Lord. But Esau said, I've got enough, my brother. Keep what you have for yourself. And the old Jacob we knew would probably have taken him up there. You know, just did some measure of looking good, of, you know, doing the respectable things. Oh, you don't really know? Okay, that's good. But notice what he says. No, please. If I found favor in your sight, then accept my present from my hand. And then it's verse 11. It goes from present to verse 11. Please accept my blessing that is brought to you. He says, you know, Esau... I was the one who stole your blessing. The blessing that rightly belonged for you, I stole it. I deceived. I lied. Let me make right the wrong that I've done. Yes, that was done then, but now let me give you a blessing. I don't want to give this to you, Esau, because you need it. I want to give this to you because I need to give it to you. Is part of making things right. And then notice verse 11. Because God has dealt graciously with me. I can do this because I have a God who's blessed me. Why did God bless Jacob so much? I mean, Jacob was a scoundrel. I mean, you look at it, he's just a con artist. And you think, why, why, why were you doing this to Jacob, God? And then we get the lesson right here. So that he can be a blessing. You see... What's another implication of this encounter with God? Not only does the fear of men decrease, the blessing of God increases. Now, I'm not talking about God's blessings on Jacob, but God's blessings through Jacob. God was blessing Jacob even before Jacob was, was acknowledging God as his God. But now when he starts acknowledging God as his God, He no longer sees himself as the end-all and be-all of all things that exist. And that instead, he is to be a blessing to God. And one way he can be a blessing to God is to make right his wrongs that is done. And so he says, you know, God's given me all these things. I want to give these to you. I need to give these to you. I need to be a blessing to you, Esau. When you have an encounter with God, one sure evidence of God's working is generosity. Of being a blessing because i know firsthand it is not natural for me to be generous it is natural for me to receive generosity all right i know how to do that i've been doing it all my life but now for me to be generous and to give even when i don't have to to give then because god is my source of blessings that's unnatural that is the work of god in my life now you know i shared a little bit about the implications of marriage and uh, you know, one specific way is, is, is when in college I, I came across this, this dish called poppy seed chicken casserole. Man, it was some good stuff. I, I had some ladies in the church, they would make it. And I thought, man, I've just never had chicken casserole like this. And I've grown up in a pastor's home. I know chicken casserole, you know. But this is something I've not tasted before. And any time it was served, I'd get at least three servings. Because I thought... I don't know if I'm ever going to have this again, you know. So I'm going to get as much as I can right now. But you know, when I got married, I found out 
Julie knew how to cook chicken, poppy seed chicken casserole. She had the recipe. In fact, before I married her, she cooked it for me once. Seal the deal right there, you know? <laughs> Man, yeah, you look good and you can cook good too. It's just, you know, and here's the thing. I can be generous. We, we have chickens, chicken casserole from time to time, poppy seed chicken casserole. And I no longer eat three servings. One, I don't need to. <laughs> Two, I don't need to. Why? What I'm saying? I know I'll probably have that again. And I've got the source right there with me. In fact, if we were having chicken casserole and you came to our house, I'd probably even let you have some. Why? Because I know that Julie can cook it. And all I got to do is just get the ingredients together again and get the time and we'll, and we'll get it. I can afford it to be generous. I don't have to scrounge. Jacob is no longer scrounging to be exalted above Esau. You get that? He is no longer fighting for it. Do you realize you don't have to fight for prominence anymore? Because what he struggled for, God gave to him. He said, I'm going to change your name. You're no longer Jacob. You're Israel. You've struggled with God and you've prevailed. You've got the blessing of God on your life. Not so that you can look at Esau and say, nah, 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 I got you. See, it's all true. I'm better than you. No, but he's so he's got the blessings of God so he can give it to Esau. He has become a blessing. And so he hands it off. All of this livestock. And so we keep on reading. We have this interesting dialogue, verse 12, between Esau and Jacob, where they're trying to figure out where they're going to settle. Esau wants Jacob back home with him, which is in Edom, about 100 miles south. Jacob doesn't really want to go 100 miles south. God's told him to go to Canaan, which is just across the river, about four miles away. You know, it's better for the crops and everything else, better for the livestock, rather. And so we have this thing going back and forth. And uh, Jacob says, no, I don't really want to do this. This would be bad on my children, be bad on the, the crops, they're going to die. Uh, you go on. Esau says, well, okay, I'll tell you what, let me just leave some of my people to go with you, to fight with you and fight and defend you. In verse 15, what need is there? Let me find favor in the sight of the Lord. I don't need protection anymore. I've got God with me. The only one I was afraid of was you, Esau. I don't have to be afraid anymore. I've got the Lord with me. I don't need these things. And so Esau returned that day on his way to Seir. So Jacob journeyed to Succoth, which means booth, and he built himself a house and made booths for his livestock. Therefore, the name is called Succoth. And then he went a little bit later, about 20 miles away, to Shechem, the city of Shechem, which, by the way, means peaceful, uh, in the land of Canaan. And he camped before the city. He's finally there. He's finally across the river. He's not in the Hebron area. He's not in Bethel area. But he's in the land. He's in the territory. And notice he does something. Verse 19, he buys land. It's significant. It's the second time that someone of Abraham's line bought land. Abraham did it when his wife died to buy a burial place for Sarah. That was significant and made much out of that because it's finally starting to inhabit the land that God had promised him. And so that's why this is mentioned again, that the promises are slowly coming to pass in the, in the inhabiting of this land. But notice verse 20. There he erected an altar. Before we've had pillars 
at the little stone put up at Bethel. But now, for the first time, we have Jacob erecting an altar. He's doing it at Shechem, which was the first place that Abraham built an altar in the Promised Land. So he's following up, perhaps maybe rebuilding the same altar that his his grandfather did, and he calls it El Elohi Israel. What's the significance of that? My uh, God, the God of Israel. Well, to know the significance, you've got to go back to chapter 28. And the incident of Bethel, as he began this journey away from Canaan, and God, through the, uh, through the vision of the stairway to heaven, he let him know that God's going to be with him, he's going to bring him back to land. And notice, verse 20 through 22, Jacob's response. He made a vow saying, if God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone, which I've set up for a pillar, shall be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give a full tenth to you. What has happened? He said, God has been true to his word. And what I once said was kind of a bargaining out there. If God does all these things, then God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, will be the God of Jacob also. And so now he comes and lo and behold, God has protected him from Laban. He's protected him from Esau. He's multiplied his camps. So it's two camps. So much blessings there. And he's in the land. And he says, you know what? <laughs> You're not no longer the God just of Abraham, just of Isaac. You are the God of Israel also. And so he lays up an altar. See, when you have an encounter with God, not only does the fear of man decrease and then the blessings of God increase, but also the worship of God is prioritized because you realize that if it wasn't for God, you would have nothing at all. And it is right for you to worship him. I skipped a part here. Why, why all this worship? Well, I don't know if you caught it. But if you look back in verse 10, Jacob said something to Esau. He said, please take my gift, for I've seen your face, which is like seeing the face of God, and you have accepted me. What's he talking about? But just the night before, he had a one-on-one with God. And Jacob, being the deceiver he was, owing up to who he was. Yet God gave him mercy and gave him blessings all throughout his life. He was no longer estranged in his relationship with the Lord. He says, you know, as I come across you, Esau, it reminds me a lot of what happened last night. Because as I see your face, you have tears in your eyes and you receive me when you could have easily, rightly slaughtered me and my family for all the things I've done to you. But you have given me mercy and grace. It's like seeing the face of God. Listen, when you give mercy and grace to someone else, you are the most like God than you've ever been. When you're given mercy and grace. You want people to see the face of God in your life? You want to be godly? Then that means you're merciful. That means you're graceful to those who make mistakes around you. You give them room to make mistakes. And you don't come down on them with a hammer. Instead, you're like Esau and at this point and say, you know what, brother? You've wronged me. You've done wrong toward me. But I give you mercy and grace. You know what the sad reality of this for us to be like God? <laughs> you got to let someone injure you. 
you got to let someone injure you. How do you forgive someone unless they injure you? How do you give mercy unless they've done you wrong? But it's in the giving of mercy and the giving of grace that you show the face of God. He said, ah, Esau, you remind me of how God's dealt with me. And I've exalted God. I've put up an altar in my life. And it takes me all the way back, all the way forward to Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. He says, I beseech you by the mercies of God, because of God's mercy toward you, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is, which is your reasonable service, which is your spiritual act of worship. <laughs> because of God's mercy, make worship a priority not just here on sunday morning that's, that's just a, that's just a small part that's the tip of the iceberg it is in fact living your life out with jesus as your king that's part of worship it's part of what sherry was doing here this morning of being obedient to god to say you know what god is the source of my blessings and i will not let the fear of man dictate what i do ever obeying god he is exalted over me who's you who do you exalt who do you exalt? Because of the mercies of God, exalt him by your lifestyle. Laying it down as a living sacrifice. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. What does this world think? The world thinks, you know what? What everyone else thinks, then obey them. Don't stick out. Follow the mold. What does this world think? Get all you can and sit on it. Because you don't know if you're going to get any more. But what God says, no, it comes from me and I've got more. Give it out and be a distributor of blessings. Be a blessing to the people around you. What does the world say? Exalt yourself. Live for yourself because no one else is going to do it. God says, that's right. You need to do it instead to God. Because you're just a temporary thing. And you exalt God. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the word of God. So let me ask you. When people see you, do they see the face of God? How on earth do they do that? It only happens when you see God's face. When you have that moment on Peniel like Jacob had, when God asks you, who are you? And you're honest. I say, God, I'm a sinner. I'm greedy. I'm an adulterer. I'm a murderer. I have hatred in my heart. I covet God, do you know me? Forgive me. I believe that you died for me, the punishment of my sins, and you rose again. And God says, okay, let me give you a new name. Your name now is righteous. Peace. Child of God. Do you have that new name? Let's pray that you do. Father, I thank you for this story because it reveals so much of you. Jacob, Esau, they're just like us. We, we can deal with that. We know what they're like. But then we see your intervention. You see your working. And we see how a man like Jacob, who we so identify with, suddenly changed, making some steps differently. Not just walking physically different, but now walking spiritually different. The soul finds satisfaction in you. Father, I think, I think back in that same city, that same place in Shechem, where Jacob dwelled. 
that one day that descendant, that holy descendant of Jacob, Jesus himself, was walking in that same city in Samaria. And there, a Samaritan woman came to your son, Jesus, in that same place. She, too, was trying to have a blessing, trying to find a blessing in, in relationship with men, finding one failed relationship after another. And Jesus, your son, said to her that this, this water you drink here will make you thirsty again. But if she would just come to you, there would be a water there that would cause her to never thirst again. Lord, I pray that those here would come to you and stop living for themselves, trying to exalt themselves, but to seek your exaltation and find there the waters of living water. Not waters that keeps us from strife, but carries us through the strife. Lord, Waters that allow us to be generous and a blessing, to not fear mankind. And waters that leads us to worship of you. I pray this in your precious name. Amen.